0: If you've got your copy of God's Word, then open it with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 35, as we talk this morning about mercy. Luke chapter 18, verse 35, and uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me as well. Uh, let's read that together, though, as we begin our time in the Word. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus, son of David, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. Title this morning is Have Mercy. So we hear this man in the story calling out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And as I thought about mercy, I remembered a game. I wonder if you remember playing it as a kid. It's called Mercy, where you would take your hand and interlock fingers with the person you're playing with, and then for some reason try to twist the other person's hand off of their arm. And the person who was the winner was the one who didn't call out Mercy, right? If you couldn't take the pain anymore and you called Mercy, then the game was over. At least in theory, it was supposed to be over. I don't really understand The point of that game, at least with football, there's theoretically something other than just her injuring or hurting one another. With that game, that's really the sole goal is to injure the other person you're playing against. But I bring that up to ask if you remember playing that game, then maybe you remember the moment right before you called out mercy. What was that moment like? It was a moment of desperation. Because if I'm the one calling mercy, then my fate rests in the hand of my opponent. And even beyond that, to some degree, my faith rests in that other person too. Because if you've got my hand doubled back to the point that it feels like my arm or hand is about to break and I call out mercy, then if you don't stop at that point, then what am I gonna do, right? I'm kind of at your mercy. I'm putting faith in you that we're gonna go by the rules and that we're both gonna at least walk away. Maybe not with our dignity, but at least with full use of both of our hands. It's fascinating, I think, how two people can experience the same event, um, but with completely different ways. Um, One of the things I thought of with that as well was I enjoy Kentucky basketball, and I I attend a lot of games with my uncle, and on the way home from those games, we listen to the post-game radio show where people call in to give their thoughts or opinions about the game. And people have some interesting perspectives to share. After a big win against a big rival, you can count on mostly positive calls, as you would expect, but there are still a few people who feel called in to feel compelled to call in and to complain about what they saw. Maybe it was the substitution that they thought should have happened at the 13 minute mark of the first half, and if the coach had made that substitution like they would have, then the team would have won by 40 points instead of 30 points. And they might have even unlocked some secret to greatness that would have compelled them to the championship three months before. But since they didn't, well, all hope is lost. They won the game. Seems like the headline would be positive, but they're stuck on the negative. That happens as well just in our regular personal interactions. You walk away from a conversation and you ask your family member or your friend, What about that? What do you think about what just happened? You're assuming in that moment you know the answer. Obviously, they think the same person is in the wrong that you did. After all, you saw the same things, you heard the same things, but then they start talking and you realize that they've got a completely different understanding of what just happened than you do. What you saw as negative, they saw as positive. What you perceived as a slight or an insult, they perceived to be innocent or vice versa. What in the world is going on? Or take the example of witnesses to a crime or maybe to a car wreck. Two witnesses can claim to have seen impossibly contradictory events. Or in the case of a single eyewitness, the witness can testify to have seen things that never could have happened based on the rest of the evidence. And that can happen because of where we're located, our positioning as witnesses, or personal biases, or conflation of past memories. We're not robots or computers, and so we don't always remember things perfectly. The reasons for all of those things can vary, but we know that things like our perspective and our past have a lot to do with the way that we experience the present and also what we expect to experience in the future. And we see all of that kind of coming into play here in Luke chapter 18, And so what we're going to do over the next few moments together is look at four participants in this story and see what we can learn from the way they experienced what happened here on the road to Jericho. We'll start with the blind man. How did he participate in this experience? Well, he is, apart from Jesus, the focal point of the story. As Jesus was making his way to Jericho, the blind man was sitting by the road begging. That was his life. This was how he was trying to survive, and pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover or other festivals would have tended to be a generous bunch. They would have likely thrown enough money his way to keep him solvent a little while longer in a society that wasn't really designed for someone like him or anybody with any disability, for that matter, to flourish. In that kind of economy, you did what you had to do to survive, which has this man by the roadside Begging when he hears the sound of this crowd going by him. Maybe some of them were dropping money to him as they went. Maybe others were just brushing by, trying to make their way around him without uh, getting locked into any kind of conversation or getting stopped or falling behind the crowd. We know he couldn't see them, but he could hear the crowd going by, and so he asked, "What all the commotion is about?" and Although he couldn't see what was happening, he could sense something here was different. And so he asks, what's going on? What's the meaning of all this? And he's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's it. That's all the explanation he gets. I don't know about you, but if I asked the question, what's all this about or what's the meaning of this, I would have probably expected a little bit more in response, a little longer explanation. But as we read the Gospel of Luke, maybe that is really all the explanation that we need to hear. Jesus is passing by, because we've seen it time and time again throughout this series. Jesus drew a crowd wherever he went. When he showed up, people expected something to happen. And that's a reputation that Jesus had earned with powerful and prophetic teaching and also with miraculous signs and wonders. Sins were forgiven, diseases were healed, and lives were changed when Jesus came to town. That was the expectation of what would happen when Jesus showed up, and this day was no different. That's not just true of Jesus, though, but it's also true for for each of us today. When we show up, there are expectations of us, of what we will do, of what we'll be like, expectations that are spoken, some that are unspoken. It's never bad for us to ask that question, what is the expectation? The reality is that each of us this morning might come to this service and to this moment with different expectations of what we're going to do here today of what Jesus is going to do in us and for us and through us, that's because we come to this place with different experiences, and so we come to this moment with different needs. Because of their experiences with church and with church people, there are some who, when you hear the name Jesus, you think judgment, and that can go both directions. Some feel judged by those around them, and others feel empowered to judge others. But That wasn't the case for the blind man in our story this morning. For him, for the blind man, when he heard Jesus, he thought, mercy. Without hesitation, when he learned that it was Jesus passing by, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this teaches us something about Jesus, but it also shows us something about the blind man. When he identifies Jesus as the son of David, he was declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. The blind man here, he knew two very important things. He knew who Jesus was, and he knew what he needed from Jesus. Those are good things for us to know as well. Who Jesus is and what we need from Jesus. And those two things line up here. In the story, and they line up for us, Jesus demonstrated himself to be a man of mercy, someone whose compassion for the lowly, the lost, and the left out was central to who he was. And so when the blind man heard Jesus, he thought mercy because that's who Jesus is, but also because it's what he needed. He didn't need someone here in this moment to give him tips on how to be a better beggar. He didn't need someone to make assumptions about his blindness or about his background. He needed someone to listen to him, to know him, and have compassion on him. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In the midst of the crowd and all that was going on around him, here sits this blind man pleading with Jesus for mercy, kindness, compassion. He needed help. And so what can we learn from the blind man this morning? Maybe this morning we need to learn a new way of hearing the name of Jesus. The life of Jesus portrayed in the Gospels isn't one marked by judgment or condemnation. It's one characterized by mercy and love. And so may God grant us the mercy this morning of hearing the good news of Jesus with fresh ears today. And then when we hear Jesus and when we think mercy, let's learn to cry out to him when we're in need. The blind man heard the crowd passing by and the crowd caught his attention, but Jesus was the one who captured his heart. It was the name of Jesus that prompts him to cry out for the help that he needed. And so I would ask you this morning, what is the mercy that you need from Jesus today? What help do you need Jesus to grant you in your life this morning? Cry out to him. How did the blind man participate in this experience? When he heard Jesus, he thought, mercy, Next up we see in the story, the crowd. How did they participate in this experience? This crowd that was following after Jesus, they were the first ones who caught the attention of the blind man. Their passing by was what piqued his curiosity and prompted him to ask what was going on. They were the ones who told the blind man that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by. But maybe that description even tells us a little bit about how they were participating in this whole thing too. Because it hadn't entered their minds that there was something or someone here that was worth stopping to see. In their minds, Jesus was just passing by this blind man on the way to Jericho, on the way, presumably, to something more important. They'd heard about his teaching and his miracles. They'd heard about the mic drop moments we've already seen here in the Gospel of Luke. But like many of us, they were so filled with their own expectations for the future that they were in danger of missing the moment happening right in front of them. Yes, they were in the crowd following Jesus, but that doesn't always mean we fully understand what Jesus is up to. We know this because of what Luke writes immediately preceding our passage this morning. Jesus there was telling the disciples for a third time that he would be delivered over to be killed. But verse 34 records the responses of those who had followed Jesus most closely. They'd heard more of Jesus teaching than anyone. Verse 34 says, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from him, and they did not grasp what was said. You can be in the crowd following Jesus without fully understanding what Jesus is up to. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke launches into the story about the blind man immediately after describing the disciples' lack of understanding. Because they didn't see what they didn't want to see. They heard, but they didn't understand. And we see the same kind of thing happening here with the crowd. Sure, they listened at first. They heard the man's question. They told him it was Jesus passing by him, but then when he didn't fit into their box, they had a problem. And so it says in verse 39, those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And so we see the crowd, when they saw suffering, they sought silence. They were willing to engage with the man on a surface level, but when that wasn't enough, they sought to silence him, they rebuked him for crying out for mercy. I think The reality is we're all uncomfortable with the suffering of others, especially when that suffering is something that we're not familiar with. And so when someone cries out for mercy or asks for help, our initial impulse can be to consider what their cries for help would require of us instead of first considering what their suffering has already required of them. We're quick to explain why we can't help or why our helping wouldn't actually help or why they wouldn't be in this situation if they'd made better choices to begin with. Like the crowd in this story, we're prone to meeting cries for mercy with rebukes. Lecturing those who are hurting or less fortunate on how they ought to better express their pain more appropriately. Not so that we might respond to their cries, but so that we can get back to what we were doing. I know I've been guilty of seeking silence in the face of suffering. So I ask you this morning, how do you respond when someone needs help? Especially when their cries for help disrupt your plans for your future. Maybe it's just the immediate future, or maybe it's just the next few moments. Sometimes you just need to stop and step out of your routine for a few minutes to listen to someone, to pray with them, to help them. Maybe it's a few hours that it would take for you to show the kindness and the mercy that someone needs, or maybe it's the long-term future. Maybe truly listening to someone else's cries for mercy would mean a disruption of your plans and priorities and routines in a more significant way. But my question is this, are there ways this morning in which the crowd in this story is a mirror of us? How did the crowd participate in this experience when they saw suffering They sought silence. And that brings us to Jesus. How did he participate in this experience? Despite the rebukes of the crowd and their attempts to silence him, the blind man just kept on crying more and more, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is where we see Jesus begin once again to defy expectations. The crowd's thought Jesus was just passing by. But when he hears the cries of this man, he stops and he calls for the man to be brought to him. In contrast to the crowds who wanted him to be quiet and saw his suffering as an inconvenience, when Jesus heard mercy, he moved closer. You know what Jesus could have done in this moment? He could have kept on his way. He had things to do. He had places to go. He was on his way to Jericho. He could have had Judas... Uh, Throw the blind man a few coins from the ministry's treasury and then kept on his way. Jesus is a busy and important man. But he stopped. Instead of creating more distance, when he heard the cry for mercy, he moved closer. The crowd wanted to stay on the surface level, but Jesus was willing to dig deeper and ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man answered, Lord, let me recover my sight. It's an obvious question. Obvious answer, maybe, but it's one sometimes we fail to ask. That's really a shame because it's a question that has the power to turn our well-meaning but misguided attempts to help into exactly what someone needs. Having the answer to that question can move us from doing what we think someone needs or wants to doing what they actually need or want in the situation. Without us asking that question, our attempts to show mercy to someone can just be elaborate attempts to get them to leave us alone or to get our way or to get back to what we were doing. But that's not the way Jesus operates here and not the way that he calls us to operate either. When he heard the man's cries for mercy, he moved closer. And that's good news for us, especially when we are the ones in need of mercy. If your soul is crying out for mercy and it feels like everyone around you just wants you to be quiet and get with the program and go along with the crowd, know this today about Jesus When nobody else will listen, he does. Not to get it over with, but because he cares for you and he loves you and he wants what's best for you. He wants to do for you what you need. He's there for us when we are in need of mercy. I think also that we can apply to our lives what we see Jesus doing here in this moment as well and the fact that sometimes we are in a position to show mercy to others, we're in a position to hear others' cries for mercy. And we see here with Jesus, him asking this question of this man, what do you want me to do for you? And I think in this moment, Jesus' question there was, yes, about hearing from the man what he wanted, but presumably this man was brought to Jesus, he was led to Jesus, and so One would think it was obvious at this point what this man needed from Jesus. And so the question that he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I think it's not just about Jesus gathering information, but it's also about Jesus communicating something to this man as well. When we stop to ask somebody a question like this, we're also saying to them, I care for you. I want to help you. We see Jesus meeting this man with curiosity instead of condemnation. When he heard mercy, he moved closer. It's good news, we'll do. And In Jesus, we have someone who draws us closer instead of pushing us away, but it's also good news when we're in a position to show mercy to others. We can learn from Jesus here to stop and listen and ask how we can help. This was who Jesus was from the very beginning of his ministry. In Luke chapter four, the first public words that Jesus preached Luke chapter 4, verse 18, were these from the the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How do we see Jesus participating in this experience? In our experience, when Jesus hears mercy, he moves closer. The Spirit compels him to do just that. And we see that was what Jesus was about, proclaiming recovering of sight to the blind. It was what he was about in Luke chapter 4. We see it's still what he's about here in Luke chapter 18. And we know it's still what he's about in our lives. And that brings us to the fourth and final participant we see in this experience, and that is us. When we see Jesus, what will we do? How do we participate in this story? The rest of this story, I think, helps us answer that question or at least ask that question of ourselves. Verse 42, hearing the man's request to recover his sight, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. With just one word, Jesus restores this man's sight. His faith made him well. Jesus says, without a doubt, He had demonstrated his faith in Jesus. He had demonstrated that he trusted Jesus in this moment, crying out in the midst of a crowd. That was an expression of his faith. He believed that Jesus could and would show mercy to him. He trusted that Jesus was able to recover his sight. He trusted that Jesus was the savior that he and so many others had been waiting for. So that when the crowd told him to be quiet, he just kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then, when he recovered his sight, we see he continues to trust Jesus. He follows Jesus, glorifying God, and leads others to do the same. Even before he recovered his physical sight, the blind man was the only one who seemed to clearly understand who Jesus was and what he was about. He heard what was going on and had undoubtedly heard about Jesus, and his need for healing led him to cry out for mercy. And what we see repeatedly in Luke's gospel is that Jesus connects with people personally according to their needs. We've seen him in this series alone. We've seen him forgive sins, cast out demons, heal diseases, call people to put aside their busyness and just be present in the moment. And here we see him restoring sight to a man who was blind. Luke shows us a Jesus who we can trust with the most difficult and painful things we face. And so this morning I would ask, when we see Jesus, what will we do? Will we trust him? If you've never done what the blind man does in this story, and that is trust Jesus and follow him, that's the invitation that's open to you today. As we sing in a few moments or even after this service, we'd love to talk more with you about what that would look like for you to place your faith in Jesus and to follow him. This morning, you may need Jesus to help you see for the first time, to give you spiritual sight, or to provide for some other need in your life. Cry out to Jesus, he hears your cries. This morning, though, we also might just need Jesus to help us to see what he's already doing in us and around us. As we look at this crowd in this story, there aren't any indications that they were bad people, that they had any malicious intent toward this blind man. They just didn't see the whole picture. They were intrigued by what Jesus was doing, but their expectations didn't match with his reality. And so maybe some of them were new to the crowd around Jesus and hadn't had an opportunity to see the whole picture. There are things that we don't see just because we haven't been exposed to them. We haven't had the opportunity to see them. But then again, maybe there were some in this crowd who had been around Jesus to the point that they kind of felt like they had it all figured out. There are also things that we don't see because we don't want to see them. Like others in the Gospel of Luke, we can be blinded by our own self-righteousness, our own wealth, or our own privilege. Where our experiences differ from those who are suffering or oppressed, we're all prone to blind spots, to asking those who are hurting to keep it down so that we can go on with what we're doing. Our impulse is just to keep things moving. But there are times when we need to follow Jesus' lead and stop and listen to the poor, the sick, the grieving, the marginalized, those whose experiences differ from ours due to race or gender or economic factors. If we do, then we might find that Jesus is at work in ways and in places that we never realized, places he's inviting us to follow him and to join him. Our Heavenly Father, we Thank you today that you are a merciful God, that you sent Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captive and the oppressed, recovery of sight to those who are blind. And so, God, we pray today that as we see Jesus in this story, that you would by your spirit work in our lives, giving us eyes to, to see Jesus for who he is, helping us to see, even in our own hearts, our own lives, what it is that we need from Jesus, that we would be able to cry out for the mercy we need as we see the blind man in this story doing. God, I pray if there's anyone here who's never before trusted Jesus and made a decision to follow him, that they would make that decision today and that we would have an opportunity to to talk and to pray together god i pray today that you would open each of our eyes though lord to to what you're doing within us and around us and the world in which we live god help us to listen when others cry out for mercy when others are suffering around us help us to see help us to move closer Help us to show the same kind of kindness and compassion that you've shown to us. God, we pray that you would lead us now to respond to your word as you would have us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.